0: Luke eighteen. Luke eighteen, thanks so much for those of you who may have been praying for me. I put on the prayer line that I threw my back out about midway through the week, and uh, about Thursday night, I was doubtful that I'd be standing uh, by now, but the Lord is certainly gracious. So thanks so much uh, for praying for me, and uh, glad to be before you today. Luke 18, verse 26, we'll read through verse 43, really connected to all that we considered last week, and last week we read through verse 27. So verses 26 and 27 to kind of tie together this whole passage that begins in verse 15. But we'll start reading at verse 26. This is God's word. It's given to us for our good. It is our final authority in faith and life. Let's attend to its reading. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with men is possible with God. And Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them. No one who has left home or wife or brothers, or parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and the age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Maybe you saw this past week, very sad story. Of a megachurch pastor in Southern California who took his own life, committed suicide this past week. This is a man who struggled with depression and anxiety. And as the pastor of a church with multiple thousands of members, a church which he had inherited from his father, who had died himself early, I believe, in his 50s, he had a lot of pressure in his life. And it seems, if you listen to some of the sermons, that he, was, that he was giving late in his life, he was really struggling with his own feelings of inadequacy. His own feelings like, I, I can't measure up to all of the demands that are being placed upon me. His sermons were heavy on self-improvement, heavy on being those people whom God has made us to be. Even his last sermon was part of a, a series called From Mess to Masterpiece. And uh, when when you take that kind of of a view of our life, that God is going to make us a masterpiece, there's going to be problems when you look at your life and you say, I feel much more like a mess than a masterpiece. And it seems as though he could not find hope within himself. Uh, He looked around, saw all the things with his eyes, saw the pressure coming upon him, could not escape his despair and left behind his beautiful family, his three boys and uh, his wife. I was reminded in this story, in this sad news story, the importance of grace alone. The importance of grace alone. Finding and basing our salvation, our identity, our confidence, and our self-image in Christ alone. When we think of that, that our life, that, am I a mess or a masterpiece? What, is, what does our catechism say, right? In this life, what do we make? A small beginning. A small beginning of obedience. And no matter what stage that we find ourselves, we're going to look at our life and we're going to say, there's a whole lot of mess here. That God, uh, that, I, that I need God to, to remind me that he saved me from all of that. And that I am found, I am accepted In Christ alone and by God's grace alone. When we have that mindset, when we understand that mindset, we can look around to this world, whether it's our circumstances, whether it's our own feelings of inadequacy, whether it's our own insecurities, and we can remember that God from eternity past has valued us, that he has saved us in his Son by his grace alone, and we can, as the scriptures say, walk by faith and not by sight. A a mindset that you would think would bring about self-loathing, right? You have empty hands. You bring nothing before God in and of yourself. But what it actually does is it reminds us that the God of the universe values you, that the God of the universe has set his love upon you, and that in Christ you have been made new and accepted uh, through him. So here's our life-transforming reality this morning. Grace alone means that we understand that since we come to God with empty hands, we can't trust in the things that our nature compels us to trust in. But rather we walk by faith and not by sight, as we look to a king and a kingdom that we cannot see. A king and a kingdom that we cannot see. Here's our three main ideas. First, see the blessings of God. See the blessings of God. Secondly, embrace the suffering king whose reign we do not see. Embrace the suffering king whose reign we do not see. And then finally, live like the blind beggar who shows us the way of faith, though he cannot see. Live like the blind beggar who shows us the way and the power of faith, though he cannot see. So first, see the blessings of God. This is second part of what we're, what we're calling understanding grace alone, which Luke 18 says. Is, is really giving us all of these pictures on the grace of God and what it means to understand grace alone. Last week we saw that fundamental picture of coming to the Lord is like being brought to him as an infant would need to be brought. Empty hands, uh, they, they have no resume, they have no achievements, no merit, no accomplishments. The picture of the grace of God is like those babies who were brought to Jesus in Luke chapter 18. And then Jesus interacts with the rich ruler who he would enter the kingdom of God not like a little child. He would enter the kingdom of God as a rich man. So he props up his own righteousness. And, and Jesus, of course, gives that response to his question when he asks, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says, you must sell all you have and give it to the poor. Not because he's teaching salvation is by works, but because Jesus knows this man's heart. And he knew the price tag in that man's heart. And that that man who wanted to enter the kingdom of God as a rich man did not want to give away all that he had and enter with empty hands. And in so doing, what is Jesus actually doing? He's exalting his own work. He's pointing all of us to his own work. For he is the one who left heaven's glory, who left the riches that he had from eternity past with the Father, and that enjoyment of communion with God. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death upon a cross. So... Grace alone, and Peter hears this interaction. Everyone hears this interaction. Jesus says, "How difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God." Everyone has that price tag. No one can do exactly what Jesus has done. If you are rich in this world, you're going to want to trust in your own merits, in your own achievements. Look at all I have accomplished. Jesus says, "Look how." Jesus says, "How difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God." Who can be saved then? Jesus says, with man it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Peter hears this, and it seems as if in Peter's mind, he thinks, well, I have done exactly what Jesus said this rich man must do. I have given up everything. I have left my home. I have left all of the comforts of this life in order to follow Jesus. And so that's what Peter says. We've given up everything. We have followed you. And there is a measure of truth to what Peter has said. In fact, the disciples are exemplary in their following of Jesus. And in chapter 22 of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus will say that in the kingdom of God, the, the, the 12 apostles will, will rule on thrones. Right? They will be given this judgment authority position in the kingdom of God. But that, of course, is on the other side of being saved by grace alone. Jesus responds to the words of Peter by doing two things. First, he encourages him. And secondly, he elevates his thinking to a heavenly mindset. So first, he encourages Peter. How does he encourage Peter? Well, what he does is he points him to the immense blessing of the kingdom of God. Jesus says there will be many people who experience rejection and ostracism by their family. This was certainly true in the early church. This is certainly true in uh, today's world, especially where Christianity is a minority religion in many cultures, for instance, in, in cultures that are dominated uh, by Islam. And uh, the, the reality for many of those people is that to accept Christ, to follow Jesus, to believe the gospel, is going to result in rejection and ostracism by One's family. Jesus says that for everyone who follows Christ, for everyone who uh, accepts the truth of the gospel message, they are given this blessing of being included in the kingdom of God, in the family of God. If you lose mother, brother, sibling, spouse, house, you will be given these blessings back because of. Uh, The blessing of the family of God. So the possible rejection of our earthly families, in the wake of that, what does God give? He gives an enduring one, one that will be gathered together for all eternity. Some people think that what's going on here is uh, sort of a a high-octane prosperity gospel passage, right? If you decide to give up something for Jesus, right, you, you, you give up those things that you had in your life before, God is going to respond by giving you tenfold more because of your faithfulness, right? So uh, you give up your house and your money, and God in this life is going to give all of that back to you and much more. It's not what's going on at all. See, what's going on here is Jesus is, is noticing, he's pointing out for us the importance of those family ties, those close family bonds, uh, that we have naturally in our family. He's saying some people, because of following Christ, are going to lose that. Thankfully that's not the reality for everyone. But some people do experience uh, that pain and that rejection and that ostracism. You can see it in the passage itself. In whoever, lo- whoever loses house or, or spouse or brother or parent. It's these family ties and Jesus say- is saying that The family of God is an immense blessing. That's what we need to understand and realize this morning. The importance of the family of God. Jesus not only encourages Peter and says, everyone gets this blessing of the family of God, but he also elevates his thinking to a heavenly mindset. He says, in this age, God gives to everyone who follows me the blessings of the family of God. And in the age to come, what does he give them? Eternal life. The blessing of eternal life goes way beyond anything that we could merit on our own. Take stock of what happens here. Peter says, uh, no, Jesus, actually, I have left everything to follow you. Jesus says, that which you have left doesn't compare to what I give you in this age. And in the age to come, after you leave this earth, all of those who follow me uh, receive this immense blessing that goes way beyond anything that anyone could merit. Think about it. It makes sense, doesn't it? In this fascinating way, Jesus is bringing out the glories of eternal life. He says, Peter, you're making sacrifices for me in your temporary life. But if you follow me and I save you by, your, by grace, if I save you by grace, what do you receive? Eternal life. See, temporary life, sacrifices in temporary life, would never merit the blessing of eternal life. And so Jesus is elevating the mindset of Peter. Peter to be uh, grabbed by this unshakable and eternal hope that's given to all of those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's a gift we don't deserve in a way we couldn't expect with a magnitude we could never demand. So, as we take stock of all this, brothers and sisters, let us know that uh, whatever hardships we face in this world for the sake of Christ— God does not leave us fully destitute in this world. He gives us the immeasurable blessing of the family of God. Are we understanding and knowing that blessing? Uh, are we realizing all that God has us would have us to be as the family of God? It makes us ask whether we as a body of believers are actually being that blessing, which is the presumed reality which Jesus is talking about here. Are we being family members that contribute to the peace and the purity of the church? Are we forgiving more than we are blaming? Are we laying down our preferences for the good of the body of Christ? Are we sacrificing for each other and are we serving one another? Are we those kinds of family members? The kinds of family members that one would want to have. We also see behind this how there is this assumed reality... Of the, church. the church is not an optional entity for anyone. There are no lone ranger Christians. Followers of Jesus Christ are welcomed into the family of God and they are to be a part of the family of God. God gives it to us for our good, but that doesn't mean that it is some kind of optional thing. Everyone who follows Christ is given a, a place in the family of God and to be a part of a family means that we have responsibility for it. So then, finally, let us not forget, then, the emphasis that Jesus places on eternal life. On the eternal life that he gives to us in Christ. May we never lose sight of that. May we never lose sight of the wondrous hope laid up for us in heaven. You see how Jesus is saying that that needs to be the anchor of your life. In the age to come, you receive eternal life. In the age to come, you receive immeasurable riches. That is a reality to shape all of our lives. It's to shape the activity of the church. The question is, are we ashamed of the gospel? Are we ashamed of what the gospel says? It seems to me that as you take stock of what's going on, whether in our culture or worldwide, the church is more and more becoming ashamed of the gospel of the reality of sin, of the need to preach faith and repentance, and of the reality of the blessing of eternal life. For many people, that is no longer good enough. But the gospel needs to be enough. The gospel needs to be enough. So many people get caught up in in thinking that uh, we need to adjust our message, that we need to change some of the things that we do, because what we do is just not impressive in the eyes of the world. Well, of course what we do is not going to be impressive in the eyes of the world when the world doesn't believe in the reality of hell. The world doesn't believe in the reality of sin. The world doesn't believe in the reality of the cross. The world doesn't believe in the reality of forgiveness. And the world doesn't believe in the reality of eternal life. The gospel needs to be enough. And we cannot be ashamed of the gospel. And we will not be ashamed of the gospel if we are shaped by that eternal hope that Christ reminds us of in this passage so the family of God the blessing of the family of God are we being those kinds of family members and then are we shaped by the hope of eternal life see the blessing of God secondly embrace the suffering king whose reign we do not see verses 31 through 34 Jesus once again points us to his work on the cross remember this is what the gospel of Luke is getting to He's going to Jerusalem, he's going to suffer, he's going to die, he's going to the cross. J.C. Ryle says that Jesus talks about this often to show us how important it is. That's the the, the, the central part of his mission, to go to the cross. If we understand just a little bit of what Jesus is emphasizing here, we will not fall into the mistake of cheap grace. Cheap grace thinking that God is really nice and he just erases sins. Cheap grace is the mindset that's like Romans 6. Continuing in sin so that grace may abound because God is the type of God who just looks at sin and says, ah, whatever. That's fine, we'll just, we'll we'll ignore it. We'll turn the other way. Cross-centered grace. Christ-centered grace is this. It was my sin that held him there. Cross-centered grace is this, oh to see my name written in the wounds. Cross-centered grace is this, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Ryle goes on to say this, Jesus was to make his soul an offering to sin and to bear our transgressions in his own body on the tree. He was to give his body and blood for the life of the world. Let us seek to be of the same mind with Christ in our estimate of his death. Let our principal thoughts about Jesus be inseparably bound up with his crucifixion. The cornerstone of all truth concerning Christ is this. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. Jesus draws out the meaning of his death from the Old Testament And uh, this is an important point for us to see. Uh, Luke does a a great job of showing this to us in a couple of different places. You'd think of uh, the end of the Gospel of Luke where Jesus appears to two of his followers and what we read in Luke 24, sorry, excuse me, 24, not 22, says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The wonderful reformed truth that all of scripture finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. It's all about him. It all points to him. It's not written primarily about us, even though as human beings we naturally think that the universe revolves around us. It's written primarily about what God is doing in Jesus Christ and what he has done in Jesus Christ. And we need, desperately need to be aware of how all Scripture points us to him. That's so important for many ways, for many reasons, but let me just speak about one this morning. This story was actually in the news recently. There was um, a pastor in the Atlanta area, another megachurch pastor, who said that Christians need to unhitch themselves from the Old Testament. Maybe you had seen this in the last month or so. Need to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament because there's a lot of moral codes in there that are going to offend people. There's a lot of strange things going on that will be off-putting to people. And what we need to understand is we need to just tell people and teach people how to live like Jesus. And friends, when you cut off the Old Testament and disregard it, that will be what you think is the point of the new, to tell people to live like Jesus. Jesus is not merely the flower of humanity. Jesus is a savior from sin. And one of the, the, the biggest themes throughout all of the Old Testament is that God is looking out over all of humanity. And he's not finding a righteous one. He's seeing universal sinfulness. And so we find that it moves us forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. It shows us also the unity of God's plan. That God has had this unified plan to bring Jesus Christ even from the Garden of Eden when he gave that promise. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And that conviction of sin that comes about, uh, many other things that happen through our regarding the Old Testament as our Bible, but the conviction of sin is a, dis, is, a, is a gift of God. And when we disregard that part of Scripture, we will lose that. We will lose that among many other things. So Jesus says all of Scripture is going to be fulfilled in me the disciples are veiled in their understanding why because they rightfully believe they rightly believe that jesus is the son of man but their own conception of the son of man is that the son of man is going to be all glory and no suffering daniel chapter 7 for instance i saw in the clouds of heaven one coming like a son of man and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that's what they're thinking about the Son of Man. All peoples, nations, languages should serve him. And so when Jesus says the Son of Man is going to be handed over to the Gentiles, the disciples are, are thinking, no, 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 no. The Son of Man, in Daniel chapter 7, all nations are going to serve him. All glory and no suffering. What they're missing is that even in the Old Testament, you see that the teaching of the Messiah was that the Messiah would suffer before he reigns. Very famous places like Isaiah 53. He was despised. He was rejected by man. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. Many people have the same struggle as the disciples. It's in a different way. But the the, the same realities of the heart are unearthed. That people think it's foolish to believe that our salvation could be founded upon a cross A crucifixion that happened 2,000 years ago, that that sounds silly, that that sounds mythical, that, of course, all the things that we know now through science and technology, we know that people used to believe all kinds of things, but no more. Throughout the ages, what do we confess? I believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate. you ever It's so amazing, isn't it, that in the Apostles' Creed we talk about Pontius Pilate. Why? Because the emphasis that these things happened in history, that these are actual events, he suffered under a Roman leader. He suffered in real time, in history. These are things that actually took place. Crucified, buried, risen, ascended. We cannot ever lose all of those things. And do you embrace the suffering king whose reign you do not see? He's reigning and ruling now, the Father's right hand. Do you embrace him? If you do, then you are living like the blind beggar. And that's our last idea, to live like the blind beggar who shows us the way of faith, though he cannot see. The blind beggar really is a nice way to end this part of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, because it ends just like it began. It ends just like it began. And it shows us the realities of the kingdom of God. A blind beggar is, in many ways, parallel to the babies that were being brought to Jesus. A blind beggar doesn't have anything in this world. He has no family or household to leave. It's the way this blind beggar is shown to us. It's basically his whole life is begging Nowhere to lay his head, we would assume. He has nothing to leave. He has no merit. He has no achievement on his own. Nothing in his hands he brings. We also see that there's this reminder here as Jesus is making his way to Jericho. This reminder that the power, the things of this world, oftentimes what we want, we want to see things with our own eyes. This idea of the walls of Jericho. And what, we, what the disciples of Jesus were thinking is that's what it's going to be like. We're going to, to go and take everything over. Jesus says, no. The realities of this kingdom, the realities of what I'm doing, the realities of the forgiveness of sin, they all go deeper than that. And we need to see that and embrace that. So the blind beggar cries out to Jesus. He says, Son of David, Why does he say son of David? Why? Because that is a way of calling Jesus a king. He is the son of David who has come to reign. And what's so fascinating about this is that he shows us, the blind beggar shows us through his blindness, that he sees the kingship and the reign of Christ hidden behind his suffering, hidden behind his humiliation. The disciples are hearing that Jesus is going to suffer. He's going to be handed over into uh, the, the hands of the Gentiles. He's going to be mocked, ridiculed, spit upon. They can't see it. They can't understand it. This blind beggar, in the midst of all of that, he cries out, Son of David. He sees the kingship of Christ. And what does he show us? He shows us the power of faith. Faith, the power of faith is that we can look around at things of this world, Look around at our circumstances. Look around at our own feelings of inadequacy. Look around at the things that make you feel like you're so much more mess than masterpiece. And yet faith can still look and see your reigning and ruling king who lived and who died for you, who cleanses you of every sin and stain, who gives you eternal life in the age to come, who gives you even the immense blessing of the family of God In this age, eternal life given through the shame of crucifixion. A kingship seen more easily by a blind man. A gift of salvation to those who would never deserve it. A victory through a manger and a cross. Jesus Christ is the son of David. Think about who it is that receives the blessing in this passage. It's not Peter, the one who who says, Jesus, I've left everything for you. It's this blind beggar who brings nothing. To God. It's this blind beggar who has nothing but his faith, who sees even through his blindness the kingship and the reign of Jesus Christ. So, beloved brothers and sisters, may we believe, may we have faith to see Christ as he truly is, to know that even though he has come in humility once, he will come again in power. This is the miracle of God's grace. Though we are tempted to trust our eyes, grace alone means that we know that since we come to God with empty hands, we cannot trust all of those things that our senses pull us towards trusting. All of those things that our senses can compel us to trust in. Always rest in Christ and always be assured that you are saved by grace alone. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. We pray that we would see the blessings that you have given to us in this age and in the age to come. We pray that we would embrace the suffering king whose reign we do not see with our eyes but behold with the power of faith. Pray that we would live like this blind beggar who shows us the power of faith, bringing nothing in his hands but a humble trust, to cry out and say, even in the midst of Jesus' suffering and humility, "He says, Lord," and He says, "Son of David." We thank you for that grace and that message, that forgiveness that we have in Christ. We pray in Christ's name, Amen. Let's stand.